the reader the readers are not dumb they can they can fill in the blanks i have to give them enough to work with but they're you know readers make a book come alive in their heads and so i have to give readers enough so they can go okay i see what's happening um, the hard parts are when i'm trying to describe a, a physical situation where it's chaotic and maybe confusing to susie who's the narrator of the story how do you make something where she's a little confused about what's happening? And maybe the reader is, but they trust you enough to go, okay, let me see what, what's going to happen next. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to the latest episode of the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. We love highlighting the vast array of genres and writers we get to chat with here each week. Today, we are joined by a master of the cat and mouse thriller, Christopher Swan, whose latest book in the Faulkner Family series, Never Back Down, is just out. Jocelyn Jackson says, Never Back Down is a wild ride worthy of this gold standard series. I'll follow Susie anywhere. And after reading it, we certainly agree. I am Ron Block. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. Christopher Swan is a novelist and teacher, a graduate of Woodbury Forest School in Virginia. He earned his PhD in creative writing from Georgia State University. A member of the Atlanta Writers Club and International Thriller Writers, Chris has been a Townsend Prize finalist, long listed for the Southern Book Prize, and a winner of the Georgia Author of the Year Award. He lives with his wife and two sons in Atlanta, where he is the English department chair at Holy Innocence Episcopal School. Chris, welcome to the podcast, but welcome back, right? You've been with us before. Yes. I, I've been with Friends in Fiction before. Thank you so much. It's the first time in the podcast. Mary Kay, good to see you, Ron. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So let's start with a general overview of the series. I have to point out that each is completely a standalone novel, but if you're like me, you will want to read them all out there. Can you talk, Chris, about the origin of bringing the Faulkner family to the page? Sure. I wrote and published my first novel, published it in 2017, and then that was Shadow of the Lions. And my next book was Never Turned Back. And that's now the first book in the Faulkner family thriller series. But at the time, I didn't expect it to be a series. And it's the story of Ethan Faulkner, who is Susanna Faulkner's older brother. And he appears in the other books, too. But in that book, he's the narrator. And it's really his story. And Susie's a side character. And you know that, you know that saying about the, your sophomore novel, like your second work of art, how, much, how hard it is? I thought, look, I, I wrote my first book. It got published. It sold far better than I thought it would. I mean, I'd gone to the... I'd gone to the private authors only party at the Decatur book festival. I had arrived. And <laughs> that's the mindset I had when I sat down at my laptops at my laptop and my computer said, that's, that's really cute kid. That was that book. This is this book and never turn back was so hard for me to just 
to, to write. And I'm not writing Ulysses, right? I'm, I wasn't trying to do something brand new with a language, but it just, I was having a hard time forming the story, making it work and pulling in backstory in a way that wasn't slowing the whole pace down. So I spent a long time in that book and, bec- and had to do a lot of rewrites because of that. While I intended it to be a standalone book and go on and do something else, I got to know those characters really well. And Susanna Faulkner, who's Ethan's younger sister, uh, is a hot, glorious mess. And she was a whole lot of fun to write. And she also, I've told this story before, she, the first scene I wrote her, she's a kid and they're eating and she's they're eating dinner and she's eating these cold peas. She's going to complain about it and her older brother Ethan's going to snipe at her. And in my head Susie said, "No, I'm not eating them." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, you are." She's like, "No." And I said, "Yes, I'm the author. You were doing this." And she refused. And again, I wasn't hallucinating her. It wasn't like I saw her sitting in the couch next to me as I was writing. But she I said, "No." And I made her eat the peas and the scene died. It just died, and I couldn't, like, what are words? I couldn't make anything work. And I got frustrated and walked away when I went back to my laptop later and started writing again. I said, fine, you refuse to eat the peas. And in my head, Susie said, thank you. And the scene went really well. So she stuck around in my head a lot. And when I finished Never Turn Back, uh, I ended it a little bit open because at that point I thought, maybe I will do something with these characters. And I fell in love with all the characters and Susie, especially. So she's, whenever I'm stuck, I'm like, okay, what would Susie do? I think I know what she'd do. She'd pull out her Glock. She would probably pull out her Glock and ride over somebody on her motorcycle, which, mm -hmm. yeah, let me, someone said, how, how much is this like you? And I'm like, I'm like, people who know me are like, so you wrote this character. I'm like, yeah. You know, we're, we're totally alike. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, uh, from your own no. life experience. <laughs> Not at all. No, I'm a I'm a I'm a middle aged, you know, cisgendered guy, and you know, Susie is a twenty something sexually fluid woman. I avoid conflict and tend to be diplomatic. Susie has no problem with conflict, and what little filter she has, she disposes of on the regular. So. It's sort of freeing to write her sometimes. She would do things I would never in my life do. Here's my thought. It just occurred to me. The family name is Faulkner. You're mm-hmm. a English teacher. Mm-hmm. And Faulkner was known to write some disturbing stuff. What, what do you yes. say to that? Is this, this is not a quinkadink? No, I was looking for a name when I was writing. Uh, it was Ethan's story first. And Ethan and... Ethan and Susie were both orphaned as kids. Ethan was 13 and Susie was 11 by a home invasion and they get taken in by their uncle. And it was, this was Ethan's story to begin with. And I just needed a last name. And I did, I looked at phone book and you know, my, my usual sources and Ethan Faulkner just fit. And then he's an English teacher, so there's even the joke made about it in, in that book. And I thought, no, we're just, we're going to do that. You're right, though. Faulkner wrote some disturbing stuff. He wrote a he wrote a, a novel called Sanctuary, which is basically a thriller. If William Faulkner wrote one, so that's it's it's mostly there's no 
Uh, there's no deep connection to William Faulkner's works. Yeah, but there are no accidents, right? No, there are no accidents. There is, a, you know, he writes, you know, the past isn't isn't dead. It's not even past. Right. To paraphrase what he said once, and and I use that quote in Never Turn Back at one point. So that's sort of what's up with these characters and what they're facing. Would you give us a brief synopsis of Never Back Down? Because if you know these these books, as we said already can stand as standalones but you know in the beginning of the book you thrust us right into the action <laughs> yes talk to us about um can you give us like the flap copy for never back down chris sure uh, Susanna faulkner is somebody who grew up wanting to find the person who turned her into an orphan and she's going to do to him what he did to her and that situation gets resolved in an earlier book and so Susie is left with, okay, what do I do now with my life and with this set of skills I have? I didn't go to college. Um, instead, I learned basically how to be a, a PI and learned martial arts and how to use firearms and how to basically find people. So she decides to turn those skills to good use. And she's doing that at the beginning of Never Back Down. Uh, she's helping. Uh, she's helping a family of a young woman who may be trapped in a relationship with a rather wealthy and powerful guy who is no good. But Susie has her own problems from uh, the previous book. There's one man she's had a hard time finding who is, is basically has set himself up as a, the enemy of her family. This is Finn. Somebody used to work, uh, was a soldier with her father in Iraq. And that's haunting her. And Finn makes a reappearance and she has to deal with him as well as help this poor young woman. Uh, she's trying to help escape. And this woman might not want to. And Susie's like, OK, I've done this before. I'll get her out. She's you know, the situations in life where you see somebody doing something and you're like, God, I wish someone would just make them stop. But you're not going to get involved. It doesn't have to be high stakes. It can be. There's a there's a couple arguing in a train and, and the husband's like, I told you, I didn't, you know, why are you picking at me? You're always picking, I'm working so hard. And everyone just sort of ignores it and kind of, I wish they'd stop. Susie's the kind of person you just like, hey, shut up and quit being mean to your wife, would you? Which gets her in lots of trouble, which makes her a whole lot of fun, again, to write and to create stories around. That's why I like thrusting her right into a situation at the beginning, thrusting the reader right in the middle of the situation. Because you get to learn who this character is by seeing how she reacts to things. She does. So you're ve obviously you're very observant about the world around you. But how did this particular idea come to you for the book? Well, the previous book, Never Go Home, which is the first book I wrote from Susie's point of view, that's where she's figuring out what do I do with my life? Okay, I'm going to look. I'm going to look for people who are missing, uh, mostly teenagers, but some uh, adults too, and. Uh, she gets pulled back into her family to help them back home in Atlanta because there's this guy, Finn, who comes around claiming that uh, he and their father stole a whole lot of money in Iraq. And he wants his, he's gotten out of prison and he now wants his cut. And they have no idea what he's talking about. I ended Never Go Home in a Cliffhanger. And never back down was, okay, what now, how do I get Susie out of this? I knew I wanted to open it. I wanted to open it with her helping somebody, a young woman trying to escape the situation. 
but I wasn't sure what exactly was going to happen. Um, and I liked that feeling, but I also knew I'm like, this is a challenge because I can't just, I'm not going to just totally write from the seat of my pants. I have to plot this out some, but that's where it came from. And again, Susie, Susie is, she's one of the characters I've created. The one who's stuck around in my head the most and is just tell me, you know, tell me what you want to do. <laughs> it's what, sort of what sort of my operating principle and it, it seems to work so far. So. Yeah. She tells you, <laughs> you know, you sort of let us into your process. What is your process? What is your secret for remembering? Especially now you've had, this is the the second, right? Third. This is a, third. This is a third right, book. Okay. So it, I think it's really sweet. You think I have a process. Well, okay. you have to. I, I know <laughs> from from my own experience, you've got to remember sure. character and location and plot lines to make sure uh, that you don't get those emails from readers who say, you know, last time you told me she was driving a Kawasaki, mm-hmm. and this time, you know, she's got a Harley. I had I had a I had a, a, a woman at a at a book signing in, in uh, at Litchfield in uh, South Carolina, and she said I love this book and this is this is another book this is a fire in the night she said but but you got the highway wrong I'm like what what are you talking about? well he goes down the highway he's driving down from Cashers North Carolina to go to to, to Charlotte and you can't get on this and and I mapped it i'd been on that road and i'd mapped it out and i'm like did i make them you know and i went back i was like no i was right and i wanted to go find <laughs> find her and be like no 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 you were wrong um but yeah i i had to go back and i used to write everything in a i, I write everything in a laptop my handwriting it looks like I'm, i suffer from arthritis and i'm trying to write arabic script uh when i handwrite so uh i type everything and so i used to have just a, this one big long Word document, and I started using Scrivener uh, a couple of years ago as a way to sort of organize scenes, and I found that's very helpful for me. Uh, and then you can make file; it's easy to make files on characters and, and settings and that sort of so thing. You, ha- you do have a Bible of some type. I do have a Bible of some type, and I did have to go back and look at Never Go Home to make sure that I got some of the backstory right in Never Back Down to talk about. Uh, Susie's father and what Finn had done and not done. And a lot of the characters from the previous books do reappear in this one. And Ron, I appreciate you saying earlier how you can, uh, how I these, you can read these as standalones because I worked really hard. I found out from people who are writing series, look, if you're going to do a series, yeah, you want people to read all of them, but you need to be, be friendly to the reader and like give them a little bit of, you know, if someone comes brand new to one of the books, yep let them in without repeating everything. So that's, I do go back to the Bible. I do go back to, to never go home and never turn back to make sure I get the details right on Wait, what was that character's name? And they lived where? Cause yeah, you're right. Readers do, they care about that stuff. And the fact that they care about that stuff is very meaningful. And it makes me sort of honored and humbled because somebody's reading a book I wrote and cares enough to, you know, want to see that it's done quote unquote, Right. So, well, you you paint a very vivid picture of Atlanta and the environments. I mean, you've got the jet landing at PDK Petrie DeKalb Airport, mm-hmm. and Ethan Ethan lives in Chastain Park, right? Basically, yeah. If he were, he would live right down the street from me. If, That's uh, convenient. 
fever real. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've worked hard on that. I think, um, and I have read, there are a lot of good, there are a lot of great, right? Karen Slaughter, right. you know, writes Tr- Trudy Nan, Brian Panowich, a lot of people that write in Georgia, um, Peter Ferris, Wanda Morris, but, and lots of others I could name, but I, I like, you know, New York City and Chicago and Boston and Los Angeles get a whole lot of thriller and yeah. crime and mystery. Atlanta's coming into its own, but still not not quite up there. And Atlanta's such a, I mean, Atlanta's not really, Atlanta's a city of like 40 different neighborhoods that are all just sort of lumped together. And they each have their own histories and their own backgrounds and their own physical layouts. And if you've ever driven in Atlanta, you know that that the roads are not laid out in any kind of, Unless you're right downtown where there's a grid. Otherwise, it's just a roadmap looks like spaghetti. And the cities, the city is like that. And they're, I mean, I'm sitting, I am sitting in my house in Chastain Park right now. And uh, English Avenue and the Bluff, one of the areas in, in those, in the Faulkner family series that Susie has to go to a lot, that's just 10 miles south of where I am right now. And it's a completely different world. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a lot better than it was 10 years ago, but um, it's still, it's not, I mean, like 10, 15 years ago and 10 years ago, it was basically an open air heroin market in a lot of parts of it. And so I, I'm kind of fascinated by how do you have, how do you have that? How does that work? Has, and Susie is somebody that goes in and out of all these places. Back to the story just a little bit. So it starts sure. out raising our heart rates and our adrenaline levels and honestly not letting go until the last page. I read it in one sitting and I told you, you owe me some hours of sleep for this because it kept me up. <laughs> how, how are you able to maintain that high level of anxiety? A um, lot of caffeine. I, I, I like, I'm a product of creative writing programs and I did get a PhD in creative writing, and one one criticism of those is, that's not entirely fair, but there's a tiny bit of truth to it, is that they produce writers who can write really beautifully about not very much. And when I was – and the, the, your prose style and your characterization, in my experience, were prized far more than plot. Plot was sort of, okay, we have to talk about plot. But what we really wanted to do was – get taught, okay, here, here's how you look for details and how you describe things in a way that's going to be very vivid and very beautiful and meaningful. And that's all important too. Don't get me wrong. But I also like stories where things happen. And so I'm trying to find that sweet spot where you have, you know, characters that you care about. You paint a picture of a scene in a way that's not cliche, that's, that's makes the place familiar, but maybe has People also look at it in a new way so they can visualize in their minds. And you don't always have to have a, a guy or a girl with a gun, but it can help. <laughs> and so just trying to, you know, and that's Susie's life. Again, she's completely unlike, her life is completely unlike my own. And so I, it sounds odd that I want, I don't want to honor that. I mean, she's a, she's somebody I created, even though, as I said earlier, she also kind of, tells me what to do when she, when I'm writing her stories, but yeah, I just, I like, I like throwing things at the characters and having stuff happen and raising the stakes because people like to turn the page. It's suspense is something that all writers, whether you're writing romance or science fiction or thrillers or literary fiction or whatever genre you want to call need to know how to use. And so, 
Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, if, if I kept it, you know, I'm sorry that I kept you awake and I'm also, <laughs> okay. as I said, achievement unlocked. <laughs> it's really <So>. okay. <laughs> There's a real cinematic feeling to these thrillers of yours, Chris. And I would love to hear about what movies or books you feel influenced your writing. Gosh, uh, how long you got? I remember seeing The Usual Suspects when it first came out in the 90s. And we showed that during COVID when we were locked down. We started having movie night at least once a week. And that became more like at least two or three times a week. And Kathy's like, oh, let's watch The Usual Suspects. And I love that movie. And the kids were fascinated by, okay, how my boys were like, how, wait, how, what, how did, who, what are they doing? I remember watching that movie thinking that this is the kind I would not that I have to write something that's that complicated or that's exactly like that, but I loved, I loved the twists and the turns and the characters in that film that made a big impression on me when I was writing earlier. Uh, Martin Cruz Smith, I've talked to, he wrote, um, he still writes the Arkady Renko series basically a homicide investigator in Moscow. He started writing, the first novel came out in 1981, so it was a USSR, and now it's Russia. And what's it like to be a policeman in a police state? And I love his books, and I love that character, and I love the way he paints a picture that's, you know, he writes, for lack of a better term, literary thrillers, Mm -hmm. and that's the kind of thing that I want to write. I do like things happen and I do. I'm not. I'm not like Michael Bay, where I want everything to blow up all the time necessarily. But I, I, I want you to care about the characters I write about because if you if you can get a reader to con- to connect to a character, and they care about that character, they don't have to necessarily like them. Like nobody really likes Hannibal Lecter. We might think he's a cool construct. We might want to see what he's going to do next. But you wouldn't want to have dinner with a guy, right? I just walked into that. He'd like to have dinner with you. Um, <laughs> but that was inadvertent. But, okay, I'll take it. Sure. But, but we'll, we'll re- you know, readers and that movie, Silence of the Lambs, there's another one. They want to see what this guy's fascinating. What's he going to do? And so if you can write a character like that that people are going to follow, it doesn't matter what genre you're writing in, they're going to follow through to the end. And that's what I hope to achieve with these books and with Susie. Because, again, she's, you don't have to like her. Although I've had a lot of people reach out to me and tell me that they do, which is gratifying. But they, if they you know, like, okay, I want to see what, ha- I want to see how her story turns out. I want to see what happens next. What is she able to do or not do? That's my goal. That's a good one. That's a good one. And I'm kind of staying in the cinematic arena, the scenes where Susie has all these physical encounters and she's, whether it's a knife or a car or, mm-hmm. or, or a gun, it's almost, it feels like you had to choreograph them because how did, how did you know, right, the right angles and the right, right injuries and things like that. So how do you mm-hmm. pull that all together and put it on the page? I can, in an early drafts, and my wife Kathy reads everything that I write, and she often says this is getting too stage directiony, and I'll do that a lot in early drafts because I am in my mind, okay, I'm trying to paint this picture, I'm trying to describe something, and it's, and, and Mary Kay, I don't know what you think, but it's hard. describing somebody doing something physical that's in, in any way complicated, not just a single movement or what it's hard without without either getting really overblown or making it sound like some sort of Ikea instruction manual. And so I, I, I try to make sense where I, 
I have to remember that the reader, the readers are not dumb. They can, they can fill in the blanks. I have to give them enough to work with, but they're, you know, readers make a book come alive in their heads. And so I have to give readers enough so they can go, okay, I see what's happening. Um, the hard parts are when I'm trying to describe a, a physical situation where it's chaotic and maybe confusing to Susie, who's the narrator of the story. Yeah. How do you make something where she's a little confused about what's happening? And maybe the reader is, but they trust you enough to go, okay, let me see what, what's going to happen next. But yeah, I've gotten up before. I've, I've gotten up from a den gun. Okay, so if I were going to, you know, punch this way. Okay, my body would. Okay, so that okay, that does make sense. That it would come from this side. I, I've, I've physically done that before. Yeah, yeah. Act out the. I have acted out scenes with my husband, mm-hmm. and I and I'm like, okay, so since I'm totally a couch potato and don't do anything athletic, I'll say, well, how do, how would that happen? <laughs> and and sometimes we'll have to play act it out. Yeah, my my, my dog will look at me sometimes like, what are you doing? Like <laughs> that's that's fine. <laughs> It's that daddy's writing a scene. It's okay. But no, thank you. I, I, I like having, I picture these sort of as movies in my head mm-hmm. to the point where sometimes I have to remember, okay, especially if it's first person story, I've got to remember, let's get back into Su- how was Susie feeling or thinking about this? Cause it's not just, I'm, I'm not just a director outside of the scene saying, okay, how would this physically happen? I want to make that work, but I also want to give you, okay, what's she feeling and thinking at the same time in a way that doesn't stop doesn't stop the action. It doesn't stop the suspense. And so uh, that's, that's sort of, it's a tricky thing to pull off. So I work really hard at it. So thank you for, thank you for that. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm wondering, there is a, there is a level of, of violence in these books. You, mm-hmm. you really can't have a thriller where people just, you know, slip knockout drops in somebody's coffee and then slither away. How do mm-hmm. you, how does that, how does that fit with the Chris Swan your your students know? And do they ever say to you, "Hey, Doctor Swan, how do you know? <laughs> how do you know how to do all this stuff? Do you have a Do you have a, a a motorbike? And do you have a baton that you might whip me upside the head with?" No. In, in short, sorry to disappoint anybody <laughs> out there. Uh, somebody asked me that in an interview. It, we were, it was live streaming. A year ago, and Kathy, my wife, was upstairs uh, working, but she had the bedroom door open. And she was also watching and listening. And I heard her, when they asked me that question, I heard her laugh. And then she started at, like, in the chat. She's like, I'm just trying to imagine, you know, Chris pulling out a Glock, LOL, or something like that. The Internet is a wonderful place in some ways. There's a whole lot of stuff out there. I mean, their answers to just about anything. Sometimes more than you, more than you want. Yeah. And, but yet Susie's, Susie sees, she has no problem using violence. She feels like it's justified, but she hates, she doesn't like um, bullying or unwarranted cruelty in any way. In fact, that sets her off. And I like the books. I like books where things can, again, think bad things can happen. And, that raises the stakes with the characters involved. But yeah, you have to find that balance. So it's not, you know, I'm not writing. I don't write as dark as say Karen. Nobody Slaughter writes or that dark. Stevens. Nobody. No. And, 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 and Karen Slaughter, I've only, I've met her on, you know, I met her on friends and fiction briefly. And 
have read her book. And she's she's a lovely woman. Like and she's hysterically funny. And she writes these, you know, very dark and graphic books that are very, very good. They're very disturbing and they're very good. That's that's not that that's not my style and that's not a judgment anyway. It's just like I'm not I'm not really good at that. But I do like if I want to use violence, there's going to be a reason for it. I don't want it to be gratuitous and I don't want it to be just for just for its own sake or just for gore or splatter. It's usually uh, for some emotional point, for some psychological point for a character uh, to add stress to, uh, and again, to add stakes. OK, this is not I'm going to be hurt. And here's exactly how I'm going to be hurt if I don't stop this person or fix this problem. Right, right, right. Well, Chris, you've talked a lot about your lifelong desire to write, and we love to hear about people's journeys. So can you tell us all about your path to publication? Sure. Let's see. I could talk about this for a long time. I'll give you a shorter version. When I was, I knew since I was 13, I had a social studies teacher gave us a creative project uh, to do at the end of our Revolutionary War unit. And no one was really excited by these projects because they'd done them for years. It was always do a book report in Johnny Tremaine or a, a poster project now a musket works or something. And but we had all these new options she came up with, and one of them was to write a a fictitious uh, a diary or a journal from a fictitious character who's experienced an event in the Revolutionary War. And I said, I'm doing that. And so I wrote about some guy from the Appalachian Mountains who didn't like this king and his taxation without representation so he was going to grab his musket which at that point i knew very well how they worked due to the poster projects all my other classmates had done and he's going to go fight for and i loved doing that it was a whole lot of fun and even my friends were like that wasn't bad which for 13 year old boys is high praise and i thought okay what do writers do because even at 13 i'm like okay i want to be a writer i'd like to write but what are they I, I, even then, I kind of got the sense that most writers don't go, well, I just finished this book. I guess I'll just go, you know, go live in my mansion, Hilton Head, maybe another five years. If I need another, need something else, I'll write another book. And so a, a lot of the writers, I looked in their flaps of their books and said they're, they're teachers. I thought, OK, I'll go teach. I'll write books. And that was the extent of my sort of job searching you know, you have your sort of vocational talk with your school counselor. What do you want to do? You know, a lot of people are like, I want to make a lot of money <laughs> or whatever they want. And I'm like, I want to be, a, I want to write books and teach. Now you fast forward about, I don't know, like 30 years and I have a career. I've got a wife. I love my college sweetheart. I've got two boys. I have a house with a roof that doesn't leak anymore. I have a dog. Everything's great except that the publishing world has not yet discovered my genius. And part of that was because I was writing <laughs> my first book reads, which is underneath my bed and will stay there. It reads as if Pat Conroy and Tom Clancy tried to write a novel together. And Interesting. Uh, that's the response I got. If any at all, that or dead silence or laughter <laughs> from publishing. And, and it, it was a mess, but it, and my wife said, why don't you write something you know about? And I said, nothing. Ex my, my life is kind of good. I don't have any. But like, what do I write about? And she said, this is an autobiography, right? Look, you went to boarding school, write a novel set in a boarding school. People love that. And so I did. And that became my first published book. And 
it's it. You know, my advice to is don't quit. If you ever had, if you write and you want to write, and you have no problem spending the time writing, and if you've had any positive feedback from anybody who is not, you know, related to you by blood or otherwise legally obligated to say this is great, then stick with it because the only re- whatever talent I might have, the only reason I'm published is because I didn't quit because I could have quit many many yeah, times, right? And, I've, and, I, and I would have been disappointed, but the world would not have suffered or anything like that. Uh, and I have, again, I have a good job and all that kind of stuff, but I just wanted to tell stories. I wanted to do it well. And so I finally, I had a friend with a, a friend and an agent and said, is, you know, is she taking clients? Sure. Would it be weird if I reached out and said, hi, I know Jonathan Evison. Uh, is it okay if... I tell you, and Johnny, who's a friend, good friend of mine, who's now written something like seven books, eight books, said, sure, so I'll tell you, yeah, you're a good guy and you're not crazy. And um, sent her the first three chapters. She said, this is great. Can you send me the rest? I did. And then she promptly went on maternity leave. And uh, fast forward <laughs> six months, and I'm like, you know, her, her staff's like, yeah, she's loving Sorry it's taking so long, but you know the baby and I'm like, yeah, that's great about the baby. Does she like my book or what? And I, you can't say that because no. then you sound evil. But uh, I do admit to thinking it. Uh, and then she finally, she emailed that I finished your book. I loved it. And let's talk. Nice. And yeah, you know, my wife's like, oh, my God. And I'm like, oh, my God. So it was it was one of those moments that, yeah, you're not going to forget. And so uh, it, it just it's gone from there you know chris i hate to put you on the spot but you and i had coffee no you don't i kind of like <laughs> yeah really and i had coffee i'm here together. for it and i had coffee together recently and we talked mm-hmm. about what each of us were working on and i am going to put you on the spot and ask you if you're ready to talk about what i think is a brilliant idea or if you want me to shut up and leave you alone you're talking about the the 6th of January or that one or the one that you're working on. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the, the, I'll do the, the one I'm working on right now. Um, um, my wife, Kathy writes novels. She has an agent. She's not published yet, but she's written three novels. And she said last fall or winter when I was sort of kick, I, I, I was, I'd send in never back down. And other than editing it, I'm like, okay, what's my next thing? She goes, why don't we write a book together? And I'm like, are you, Sure. Like I tell my friends, oh, I'm writing a book with my wife and they're all like, that's my writer friends are like, that's great. Like, and they're looking at me to see if I'm, I'm going to like send out like a help me uh, kind of message. And it's been because we're very, I'm very much sort of like Jackson Pollock. Like I'll throw stuff on the, like try and see what things happen and I'll write a scene. I know what the next scene is. I don't want to write it. I don't want to write what happens after that. So I'll leapfrog and Kathy's very much like it's laying brick. I got to get this done. Then we got to get this next thing done. But surprisingly, that's worked really well. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun to, to write together. And so that's, that's a, we, we're writing a thriller right now, which the title is Lake Bell. We're working on, I'm literally trying to start the epilogue uh, yesterday. Uh, and then we got to go back and edit it and, and, and rewrite some scenes. So that's that's been a whole lot of fun. So you know, knock on wood, and keep, you know, keep your fingers crossed on that. But no, the the novel that I, I would like to write, and my agent's going to be like, "Oh my god!" And my former editor is like, "Are you sure you want to do that?" So here you are. 
like a lot of people, I was, uh, I was home. I can't remember why I was home, but I was home, uh, on January 6th, two years ago. And I was in the kitchen and Kathy was upstairs and she said, turn on, turn on the news. And I said, Oh, this is, what is this? Are they, are they protesting the electoral college count? She said, it's not a protest. Turn on the news. And I turned it on and sat in, in awe and shock and horror for the next couple of hours, uh, watching, you know, the insurrection and much later, you know, there's a whole lot of, how did this happen? And the Washington post had a whole series, had, has a in, fabulous series of articles about what, what led up to it, what happened that day and what's, what's some of the fallout. Um, but what fit, what got me the most were two things. One were the interviews with the police officers who were just doing their job, the Capitol cops and just what, what happened and the, the basically it was like they were going through what you go through in a war. And the other thing that got me in it, there folks here in Atlanta, there were people who then the FBI were interviewing and then, you know, arresting and charging. And yeah, there were some really bad, uh, nefarious people, you know, militia members or people who were actively like, we're going to, and the government. And then there were bankers and surgeons and accountants and people like, yeah, I think the election was stolen. They got up and then they, you know, they're like, I, how did I get wrapped up into this? I'm not trying to excuse them. I just was fascinated by some of these guys. So uh, I came up with the idea of the story of a kind of where we are in the country right now, where you how divided we are. If I wrote a novel set, with that, without the politics, without the explanation of the big characters, but just the here's a Capitol police officer, and here's a you know small town Georgia man who is, feels like everything the country's going to hell and we're going to go protest and win it back, and they're going to end up colliding that day. And the novel's really going to be about more what happens afterwards. The Georgia boy's going to really hurt another police officer and the the cop that I have in mind is going to want to go find whoever did that to his, uh, his friend, his uh, uh, woman he's having an affair with and take it out in this guy. So it's really going to be more about this uh, sort of cycle of violence and revenge. And that's sort of where we sadly in the way are right now as a country, a lot of it, you're wrong. You're even not that you're wrong. It's you're evil right. and you need to be stopped. And I'm, if I can pull that off in a way where I'm not, I'm not talking about trying to both sides an argument or whether or right. not, and hopefully I haven't lost listeners who are like, Oh, okay. Well, he totally thinks he's the idiot. He doesn't think the election was stolen. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, but sorry, not sorry, but <laughs> it's, if I can pull that off and make it more about those characters and this time, uh, in our country and how we how we got there, and if there's a way for one of them to maybe earn some kind of redemption, if I can do that well, that can be a great I story. So and I'm, my my only concern is my, my two concerns: could I pull it off? And second, uh, is somebody else going to do it? You know, before I get to it, and I'll be like, "Well, okay, yeah. no," but we'll, we'll we'll see. Fingers crossed. Right yeah. now, I'm going to focus. Right now, so I'm going to focus on the thriller that I'm writing with my wife. We're okay. going to finish that, and great stuff. That's, coming, that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, Chris, it's always a joy to talk to you about your writing and your books. Now, tell us where our listeners can connect with you online and keep up with your work. 
Absolutely. Follow everything I'm doing on my website, Christopher Swan with two N's.com. I'm on Twitter, uh, if Twitter's still working, right. <laughs> at Swanee Author. You can catch me on Instagram or Facebook. All the links to that are on my website. Uh, and I regularly post a calendar of events. This next book, Never Back Down, comes out July 18th. Yep. And I'll be doing some events uh, around town and uh, outside of town and more to come. So that's where you can find me. And I'm really, I'm really excited about this one because I spent... I don't think this is the end of Susie's story, but it wraps up some things, and there's there's a lot that happens in this book, and I'm I'm really excited to have have it get out into people's hands and see what they think. Yeah, you packed a lot into it. Well, thank, thank you. you so much for joining us, and of course, we wish huge success for Never Back Down. Make sure you guys yes. go out and get it, or better yet, pre-order. Pre-order is always always a writer's yeah, friend. Yeah. Yes, please. Definitely is. Definitely is. And I, I am here for whatever comes next with Susie because she just really got under my skin too as a reader. And I really like you did like you said. You there's a lot that happens to her that you kind of want to know more about. So, congratulations on that, and thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much, Ron. Thank you, Mary Kay. Thanks, everybody. I appreciate it. And a shout out to you, our listeners. Thank you for tuning in each week. On behalf of Mary Kay, Patty, Kristen, and Christy, we appreciate you. To get a copy of Christopher's Pulse Pounding Edge of Your Seat Thrill Ride, be sure to visit the Friends in Fiction bookshop.org page and save a little money while helping indie bookstores. Until next time, thank you and please tell a friend. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends in Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here.